Well, growing up, our family would, would go on vacations. And uh, one time we went, this was probably near the end of high school, we went up, toward, uh, we went up to Maine. And my dad had grown up in, in Maine going, going there for the summers, and uh, he wanted us to, to see it. So we went up, and it was great. It was a great week. Uh, we, we sailed, we went fishing, we ate as much lobster as we were able to. And then on the last day that we were there, uh, Dad said, all right, everybody, we're going to get into the car, and we are, we're going to go see something special. So we get into the car, and we're driving down this, this windy road in, the, in the, the, the mountains there, and there's, you know, pine trees lining the road, and we go along for a while, and, and then we come to, we come to a field uh, that had, you know, black iron fence around it, and it was a, it was a cemetery, now, we hadn't been real good on the vacation, so we were a little bit nervous as to why Dad was bringing us out to this place at the end of the vacation, but we followed him anyway, and um, we, he and, he and um, his sister, my, my aunt, made their way kind of through a number of, of paths looking for a particular gravestone, and then they seemed to have found it, and they said, all right, everybody, I want you to, to come over here, and I want you to listen to this. So we all huddled up uh, around this, this gravestone, and my dad read an inscription that was written upon it uh, that I've, I've never forgotten. It said this, My dear young friend, as you pass by, remember you were born to die. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you shall be. Prepare to die and follow me. I wasn't a Christian at the time that I heard that, but that stuck with me. Because I was young and I had my whole life before me, and in many ways I never really thought about death in regards to the way that it, it might impact me. But in God's kind providence, he st stuck that in my heart and it, it haunted me in ways. And one of the things I think that all of us are aware of is that Unless Jesus returns, we will die. Death, death does not discriminate. You can be rich or poor. You can be strong or weak. You can be dark-skinned. You can be light-skinned. You can, you can be a, a Democrat or a Republican, a Libertarian, whatever. You can be a man. You can be a woman. Young, old, married, single. Death does not discriminate. You and I we're born to die. I think we know this, but our recent days in the, in the pandemic is putting this in the forefront of our minds in a way that's unique. And even this week, watching the news and watching what's happening in New York, where they're, they're loading bodies into moving trucks. I mean, it's, it's, we feel it in a way that is terrifying and sobering and Psalm 90 will tell us good for our souls. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you you would turn with me to Psalm 90. I'm going to read it for us and then we're going to walk through and consider it together. How should the reality of our mortality affect us? Moses will tell us. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. 
before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight or but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days are pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now the first thing we need to notice about this psalm is, is found in the subscript. In, in a Hebrew Bible, it would actually be verse 1, where it says, A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Psalm 90 here is, is written by, by Moses. Now, Moses has a, a memorable history, right? God used him to con confront Pharaoh, to, to call down the, the ten plagues in delivering uh, Israel out of, of Egypt. He led Israel through the Red Sea. He, was, uh, he met with God on Mount Sinai to receive the law. But one of the most often overlooked ministries of Moses was that of an undertaker, Moses led an entire nation of rebellious people through the wilderness for 40 years, and he saw the entire nation die off, one by one. And likely, Moses oversaw most of those funerals. Imagine that, watching an entire nation die before your eyes. Funeral after funeral, eulogy after eulogy, grave after grave. As you can imagine, Moses was never the same. It impacted him deeply. And Psalm 90 is a Holy Spirit-inspired reflection upon his experience and what he learned from it and what he thinks God's people should learn from it as well. So if we're going to try and summarize Psalm 90 in one, one big idea, it might be something like this. Because our life is fleeting... We must wisely find satisfaction and strength in God. That because our life is fleeting, 
We must wisely find satisfaction and strength in God. Because our life is fleeting, we must wisely find satisfaction and strength in God. The way the text is, is broken up, um, or the way we're going to walk through it, I think is pretty clean, uh, plain from, from just looking at it, the way it's arranged, verses 1 through 11. We're going to see that we must humbly accept our fleeting days. We must humbly accept our fleeting days, verses 1 through 11. And then verse 12, you'll notice it begins with the word, so. He's, he's changing to now how this ought apply. And what we're going to see in verses 12 through 17, that we must prayerfully approach our fleeting days. We must prayerfully approach our fleeting days. So again, let's look at verses 1 through 11, that we must humbly accept our fleeting days. Moses' words here in Psalm 90 offer a sobering reminder. We are going to die. Now, some of us feel crippled by this reality. We're constantly fighting off the, the anxiety of, of, of thinking I'm going to die at any moment. While there's others of us who might try to constantly avoid thinking about it or just, just avoid thinking about it. Maybe we just keep ourselves busy or entertained or maybe we're in that season of life where that youthful bliss, that death is something that might happen to somebody else but never really to me. But, but Moses here wants to correct both of those errors. He, he doesn't want us to be anxiously consumed with death, nor casually avoiding it. He wants us to look death in the face and to deal with it. You see, because rightly thinking about our death helps us to wisely think about our life. And what he's going to do here in verses 1 through 11, he's, he's, he's framing 1 through 11 with this a contrast of God's eternality and our mortality. God's foreverness and our finiteness. Look again at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. He mentions the mountains here. I grew up in, in West Virginia where there were mountains everywhere and they just, they seemed as old as time. You just never, you just knew they were there before you and that they'd always kind of been there is the way that they, they look. Well, Moses says they had a beginning. As the earth had a beginning and as you have a beginning and as I have a beginning, but God has no beginning. He is, the text says, from everlasting to everlasting. He is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God was never born and God will never die. God is. He's the forever, infinite, ever-living, everlasting God. That's who he is. And be, because God will never die, he never ceases to provide shelter for his people. He's our dwelling place, the, the, the place of our assistance, the place of our, our refuge. He is indeed our, our home, our, our, our refuge, our fortress, our security. But, but not just for us in this moment, which is true, but it's, it's not just for us, but it's for all of God's people for all time. From Adam to Abel. From Enoch to Noah, from Abraham to Sarah, right? From Joseph, uh, Joseph to Moses, Rahab to Ruth, David 
to Daniel, all the way up through the centuries, all the way through church history, up to this very day, God has always been and will always be the refuge for his people. This is the advantage of not having a fickle, dying God. That we have a God that we can always run to for refuge. Which again, should remind us that there's really nowhere else to go because everything else in this life fails us. Everything breaks down. Everything dies. Our pets die. Our friends die. Family members die. We're going to die. But God doesn't die. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 3 says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. I hope you notice there that Moses is using multiple metaphors to help us understand just how fleeting our lives are. He says that when, when God looks at a thousand years from his eternal perspective, which is about how old the, the, the oldest person who ever lived was, Methuselah, 969 years, Genesis chapter 5. He's the longest dude who ever lived. Even, even that lifespan, from God's perspective, is like the way that we think about yesterday. Remember what you did yesterday? Kind of. It's a blur, isn't it? Because it was so fast. It's the way that, a, it's the way that a, a, a military soldier thinks about his evening watch. It's like four hours. It says the memory of our life is like a dream that you had that, that vanishes before breakfast. What did I dream about? It's like grass that springs up in the morning in the Middle East that is scorched by the sun and its heat all day long and then by the end of the night is withered away. What God's doing with all these metaphors is he's calling us to stop and to, to smell the fleeting flowers and to consider your existence. We're born, we do some stuff, and then we die. One minute you're in the nursery, and then the next you're in a nursing home. We're fleeting moments and morning flowers. We're here, then gone. And weaved into verse 3, Moses reminds us why we die. He alludes to a text that, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, should say, I remember that. He says, you return man to dust. You see, the reason we die isn't just biological, that we just kind of wear out. It's theological. If you remember back in the book of Genesis, it begins with God creating a perfect world and Adam and Eve to enjoy him in a perfect world where they knew him and he, he did nothing but good for them and provided them his, himself and said, you can eat freely of every tree of the garden. It's all yours. Enjoy. I made it for you. Eating itself means delight. Come and enjoy me and what I've given you. But with that, God gave one command. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, 
Adam and his wife Eve ate, and they died, just like God said they would. But they didn't die physically immediately. Rather, they died spiritually. And you see the effects of it in the text right away. They don't know who they are anymore, and they cover themselves because of their nakedness, and they hide from God because... He's scary now all of a sudden. And then they start blaming one another. Every relationship with self, with God, with others, all of a sudden, death is all over it. And then God comes to them and he, he puts a curse on, on the world. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return all sickness all suffering all death finds its source in sin this is where it comes from this is why we die there is physical death and decay in this world because god has cursed the planet and has has cursed people with the certainty that they will surely die and that physical death is a an illustration for us about our spiritual reality that we are separated from God, and that unless we're reconciled to him, we too shall die, not just physically, but spiritually, forever separated from him. Death is an illustration of our spiritual state. Now, this doesn't mean that someone who gets sick does so because they personally sin. That could be the case, but it's not, not certainly not, always the case. Most normally, it's, it's because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, that our world is cursed. That's why there's cancer. That's why there's COVID-19. But sometimes death is a direct result of our sin. And Moses saw that firsthand. You remember Numbers 14 where God led Israel out of Egypt toward the promised land and then they came to Kadesh Barnea and there they rebelled against God. They said, God, we're not trusting your promises. We don't care about your covenants. We're not going in the land because there's giants in the land. We are not going. And God says, fine, if you don't want me, I will give you life without me. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and they died. Everybody who was 20 years and older died. God condemned that generation for their unbelief. And Moses is reflecting that on that here in verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. That sigh is the sound. If you've ever been around someone when they die, it's that last breath. <sighs> Moses saw in living color the effects of people's sins each day. Every day, rather than enjoying the land flowing with milk and honey, Moses endured with a nation sentenced to wander and die in the wilderness. says here that God set their secret sins in the light of his presence. Which I think is instructive for us. Just a friendly reminder. 
every hidden thing will be exposed before the Holy One. He sees everything. He knows everything. You can't fool him. Even if in this life you seem to escape many consequences from sin, that might not actually be as, as good as you think it is. Because it, it could callous your heart to the illusion that you and God are okay. Moses says, no, sin brings death to everybody. Now, there's a distinct difference between what happened in Moses' day and our day, but there's also a striking similarity. As we look around and, and death tolls are rising, or as if you attend the funeral of, of a loved one, or you drive past a, a graveyard or read an obituary, we see that death is real. And Moses wants us to see that and to feel that. A text like this, I don't know about for you, but it's uncomfortable for me to even talk about it. I'd prefer not to. But it is good for us to remember death. In case I forget, there's an excellent book Matt McCullough's recently written called Remembering Death. Wonderful treatment of this subject. I encourage you to consider it. But what Moses wants us to see here is that that this reality of death is a, it should produce a humble remembrance that we are going to die. Which again is not just to be morbid, but this is to sober us. Well, how long do we have? Verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Now, these numbers aren't a guarantee that everybody will live to be 70 or if you work out 80, right? This is not a guarantee of that. Um, but he's, they're presenting the average life expectancy, which, interestingly, if you, uh, if you look it up, uh, there's lots of sources out there, but the United Nations Population Division estimates the average life expectancy to be 73.2. Now, the ladies are out living the men, and there may be some reasons for that, but we'll talk about that another time. Um, <laughs> and, and just for fun, I looked up, so who's the oldest person uh, on the planet right now? And uh, as of yesterday, uh, Kane Tanaka of Japan, 117 years and 92 days. That's old. <laughs> That's real old. But we're not pr promised that many days. We're not even promised 80 or 70. Sadly, I received word last night of members of our church who lost a loved one who was 14. God wants us to see that compared to his eternality, whether you die at 17 or 117, that your days are indeed numbered and that it will come more quickly than you expect. When I was in seminary, I worked for a, a moving company. And uh, you meet lots of interesting people when you go into their house and move them from place to place. And... Uh, one particular interaction has always, yeah, it's just not, not kind of gone away in my mind. Um, I don't remember the woman's name. She was, uh, learned, learned that she was in her, her 50s, 
I would have probably guessed that she was a little older than that. She had, uh, you know, bleach blonde hair. Uh, her skin was, was quite wrinkly. You could, you could tell just by talking to her and interacting with her that she had lived a, a pretty tough life. And when we got there, she was behind on packing. So we, we decided we'd, we'd help her out and we were gathering some of the stuff. And uh, on one of the walls, there were numerous pictures of uh, a young, attractive woman there on the, on the wall. So I, I asked her, I said, so who's, who's the lady on the wall? And... Um, I remember she was smoking a cigarette, took a deep drag on her cigarette, and she just kind of like looked off, and after a moment, she looked at me and she said, well, that was me. That, that used to be me. She said, I, I used to be a model, and she, she picked up a, another a magazine that she had framed, and it was the, she was on the cover of, of, of Cosmopolitan in the 1970s. She said, this was me. She said, everybody knew me, went to all the parties, and I just always thought it would last, she said. And then she, she paused and looked off, and she said, you never think it's going to come as quick as it does. We've all had similar thoughts. Death seems so far away for many of us. But Moses wants us to know it's, it's not that far away. He wants us to know that indeed our days are numbered. Final thing to note here is, is that before we move on to verse 12 and our response to this is, is note that God is sovereign over death. So death isn't something that just kind of happens to people. Death isn't um, in itself a force that the grim reaper who kind of comes to get you and um, God's up there like, oh no, it's about that time, let's do something about it. Rather, the Bible is, is very clear that God is sovereign over life and death. Friends, we, we do not die by accident. We die by appointment. Verse 4, you return man to the dust. You return man to the dust. God does it. Psalm 139.16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Every day that God has for us is marked out already. 139.16, Job 14.5 that John read earlier, man's days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he can not pass. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. God gives life and God takes life when he chooses and every moment that we have is a gift from God. And part of, as we're going to see in this text, part of living is being prepared to die. Living in light of that. That's what he says here in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? He's saying who has a proper posture before God? Who has humility before him and, and fear of him? Knowing that, 
that he has appointed our days and after that we will give an account to him for everything that we've ever done in them. And you can see how this text is just preparing the way for for good news because we need some good news right now. It, it, It makes your heart if just to cry out and say, well, then what do we do? If we're going to die and we're going to give an account to God, like what, what, do we, what hope is there? Well, this is why along with the curse in Genesis 3, God gave a promise in Genesis 3 that a single man would be born of a woman who would come and crush the serpent's head. And then the whole Old Testament is summed up in one word, anticipation. Somebody's coming to fix this this death, this death mess that we are in, that our sin has brought. The whole Testament points, promise after promise after promise after promise to the one who came, Jesus. The one whom John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus who came and lived a perfect life, born of a virgin to escape the curse of sin, living a perfect life, fully obeying God and his law in all things, from the heart at all times, And then he died on the cross there, an innocent one who did not deserve death, took all of the judgment that sinners like you and I deserved for all of the ways that we we didn't obey God's law and for Adam's curse. And on the cross, he took that for all those who would ever believe upon him. And then he went into the grave. Jesus went to the dust. He went to the grave. He died. And then he did what nobody else does when they die. Three days later, he rose from the dead, victorious over, to show that sin, Satan, and death have no power over him. That he is alive. And that anybody, all all people, no matter where you've been or what you've done, that if you will but humble yourself and realize that if you stand before God in your own righteousness that you are doomed, if you will turn from trusting in yourself and, and, and turn from living in the illusion that you are gonna be okay before God, if you will turn from your idolatry and your rebellion, if you will turn, if you will repent and trust in Christ, believe upon him, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from all kinds of stuff. Save from sin in this life and its power over you to steal life and joy. Save you from the death that is to come, that though you may go into the grave, that Jesus will raise you up one day just as he was raised. To save you from on that last day when we stand before God Almighty and we are evaluated for all that we've done, that we'll be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that all of our sins that are in the books are blotted out by his blood, that we will be saved and live with him forevermore. That's what this text is intended to prime our hearts for. It's to point us to Jesus, the one who looked death in the face and then defeated it and says, for all who come with me, you will defeat it too. That's the good news of the gospel. So what should we do in light of all of this? Well, the second section, verses 12 through 17 We must prayerfully approach our fleeting days. We must prayerfully approach our fleeting days. You'll notice there the first word in verse 12 in most of your translation is something like so, right? It it signals a shift to application. Moses here is, he's going to pray to God three prayers 
prayers that I think will serve as models for us. He's praying them, teaching the community of God's people to pray these, which now, because we are grafted in uh, to Christ through his promises, that these, we should pray these same sorts of prayers. The three prayers I'll just summarize for us is the first one is to, to sp- supply us wisdom for our days. Supply us wisdom for our days. We'll see that in verse 12. Satisfy us with yourself. Satisfy us with yourself there in verses 13 through 15. And then strengthen us for your work. Strengthen us for your work, verses 16 through 17. So one of the ways that this really serves us, if, if you are in Christ, is, is to, to, to show us that becoming a Christian is not just about getting out of hell and into heaven. It's not just about getting your ticket and then just going on and just waiting for Jesus to come back. We certainly want Christ to come back, but from the moment we come to know him, our entire life should be oriented around the fact that he is returning, and these prayers are going to help us to live in a way that brings glory to God and joy to us. So prayer number one, look again at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses asks God to supply us wisdom for our days. That we'd see each moment that we have as limited and precious. So that we will use the short time that we have for his purposes. Because if we embrace the lesson that he's laid out before us now in verses 1 through 11 here, that our days are few, that our days are like grains of sand slipping through the the hourglass, that we never get back. What that does is it produces sobriety, clear-mindedness about life. It produces a humility before our maker and an urgency that because time is fleeting, I ought to use whatever time I have now for his purposes. This perspective fuels faith to invest our lives in what pleases God and will prove to be wise on the final day. This word wisdom here, it, it means knowledge rightly applied to life. So it's not just knowing stuff, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is taking the stuff that you know and then understanding how and actually following through on living it out. Wisdom is knowledge in action, if you will. You see, because we can hear this message and we can agree, you can nod along with the reality of your mortality. You can comprehend facts about life expectancies and think, oh, that's kind of cool that the Bible even knows life expectancies. But unless it changes the way that we live our lives and what, he, what we do during our days, days we, we show ourselves to be fools. This, this psalm is intended to be a wake-up call alerting us to our need to take a life inventory and make sure that we are wisely using every moment for God's purpose. To pray, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom, that on the last day, our hearts will be proven to be wise because God shows us how. Notice here, it's God showing us how. He does, we, we're not gonna just figure it out on our own. This is not just get your plan together. This is God show me through your word how to live. A number of years ago, there was a se- seminary professor whose life was changed, a seminary professor whose life was changed by this verse. 
uh, he was reading through it in his, his morning devotion, um, and he came to verse 12, and it struck him. Now, he was in his mid-40s at the time, uh, and he read it, and he took it to heart. So what he did for application is he went, and he got a calculator, and he sat down, and he guessed about how many days he would have left if he lived this, this long, calculated out to about 12,000 days is what he guessed. And so then he had a special made calendar for him that started with that, that day, and every single day at his desk, he would tear off a number, and he'd have one less, and one less, and one less, which he said God used as a, a continually humbling reminder of his dwindling days, and it helped him to make the most of those days. Something similar to that is intended for us. We need to realize that Jesus is coming soon and our lives will end soon and it's supposed to wake us up so that we will live for him now. Think about this from Romans 13, 11. You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. <laughs> that means that Jesus is coming sooner than when we first believed in him. Jesus is coming sooner than when this service began. Jesus is coming sooner than that last breath that you took. He's coming. Now, for us right now with this unique time in our lives where everything is kind of put on pause and a lot of travel is canceled and all of this, and we're called to just stop, this would be an excellent time for us to do some reevaluating of our time and our calendar and the way that we are using our days. Ephesians 5.16, which Merck read for us, uh, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Colossians 4.5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. I'd encourage you to consider, to do some, some life evaluation. Looking at your calendar, looking at your, um, your checkbook, your interactions with neighbors and coworkers, your, your use of entertainment. Are you using your time wisely? Meaning biblical wisdom here, in light of the fact that we will die and that we will give an account and that God is giving us his spirit now and giving us a great mission to make his name known to the end of the earth, in light of all of this, are we living wisely? John Piper had this memorable quote. He said, one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. Now, that could be guilt-inducing, but maybe it needs to be. But it's certainly helpful to think about, why don't I pray? It's certainly not because you don't have time. Why am I not in the Word? It's not because of time. And, and, and it may not be social media for you, but, but what is it? How do you use your time? Movies, games, sports, exercise, gardening. Things that even in themselves are not evil, right? But you must be wise. Using your time and energy and focus. Life, well, I'll put it this way. Time is life's most invaluable limited resource. Most invaluable, limited resource. You don't get a moment back. 
Every moment is fleeting. So let's teach, let's teach ourselves by God's grace. Let's ask him to help us to number our days. And I encourage you to talk about this with others. Open your life and say, help me evaluate. This morning I got out the calculator. And depending on how long I have, about 12,775 days. That was actually last night. So now it's 12,774 days. They go quickly. The second prayer. Prayer number two, verses 13 through 15. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. So Moses' second prayer is for God to mercifully satisfy us with his steadfast love. He says here, for so long we've been ravished by our sin. We've been enduring the consequences for our sin. Now he's here crying out for mercy. And not just for easy days here. Notice that he doesn't just ask for easy days. He asks for God. Give us you. What they needed all along was to be satisfied in him. If they were satisfied in him, all the way back to Adam and Eve, we wouldn't have been in this mess. Rather than being satisfied in what fleeting things the world and sin has to, to offer, rather, to be satisfied in him. This even brings us back to the first verse. The question we could ask is, do you find refuge in God? Do you seek to be satisfied in him? Remember verse 1, he is your dwelling place if you are in Christ. Now, I just want to encourage you to not be quick to say, yes, God's my dwelling place. He's the place I, I, I find refuge in. Because our natural response, our, our, our fleshly response is to look elsewhere for help and hope and satisfaction and escape. Again, food or friends or career or making money or spending money or experiences or, or pornography or games or movies or whatever sorts of things you can imagine. There's always things calling for us to run to when things get difficult. And I think if right now, again, in light of our current circumstances, we're being pressed in a unique way where we get to see what's coming out of us. What am I running to? Have you watched more TV than normal? Have you watched more shows? Again, I'm not saying that's necessarily sinful, but you've got to ask, Lord, why is that so? What is the first thing we run to in the morning? Is it the news? Is it what updates on what's happening? Or, or are we looking to be satisfied in him? Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. That verse is actually on our our wall in, in my bedroom. And I knew it was there, but I had forgotten it was there until this morning I woke up and I looked and sure enough, there's that verse. And I was like, that is so true. Lord, help me to be satisfied in you because there's so many other things that we can look to find satisfaction in. You see, in Christ, we know that God's mercies are new every single morning. That is a promise that has been given and it has been purchased by Jesus' blood. And if we are in Christ, that is for us. There are new mercies. That gives us 
always gives us a reason to rejoice, even in our darkest days, even when hope seems to be fleeting. If we look to Christ, we know that in him there is mercy, abundant mercy that cannot be blotted out. This prayer he's saying in verse 15, make us glad for as many days as we've been sad. God, we've seen so many hard days. Would you give merciful days now? And God does answer that prayer, but in a way that is exceedingly better than we could dream of. You see, in in Christ, God doesn't take away all of our troubles. But what God does is he meets us now in our troubles and he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death and he promises us that he will be with us. And even in the midst of whatever is happening, we can still find satisfaction in his steadfast, faithful love. So much so that we, we, that even when it feels so overwhelming, and we feel like there is nowhere to go and no more hope, we can look to Christ and look to the empty tomb and say, he is alive, and because he is alive, my Redeemer lives, and I can too. And find refuge in him. God, satisfy us with your love. And God will answer this prayer in such a way that just as our days now seem to be a vapor, so one day when we are with him, all the days of our sorrow will seem as but a vapor. Romans 8.18 says it this way, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is glory that is coming for the believer. So what this means for us is when we wake up in the morning, cry out, Lord, satisfy me this day with your steadfast love. Let me not find ultimate joy in anything else but in you. And John and I were talking about this morning just briefly before this, that the good news isn't just that. God helps us to find joy in the midst of this struggle now, but there is an end coming to all of this where he will take us to that land where there's no more crying or tears or pain and we will be with him forevermore. That is the hope of the believer, one that Psalm 90 is intended to make us long for. The third and final prayer, verses 16 and 17. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses' final prayer is strengthen us for your work. Strengthen us for your work. He's asking, he's asking God to show us your work. Show us the work of grace that you are doing in our life. Show us the purposes that you're working for in this time in history in which we live. Show us that and then strengthen us to respond by wisely numbering our days, using the grace that you've given, satisfying ourselves in you to serve you. In whatever means we are able to serve you, and and God, would you establish the work of our hands? Strengthen us, Lord. You see, being made alive in Christ, it transforms our purpose for living. Every moment is meaningful. Everyone that God gives, it's from him and it's for him. Being alive in Christ now gives us a purpose that is far greater than just stacking up money or getting trophies or ascending to some, some spot in, in, our, in our career. 
God has freed us to join what he is doing in history. And, and this text is intended to remind us that indeed our days are fleeting. Our days are fleeting. In light of that, we must wisely come to God in prayer and plead for him to give us wisdom. Give us wisdom to see our days rightly, to satisfy us with himself and to strengthen us for the work that he has for us. Delray Baptist Church, this is the prayer that I have for us, is that not only us, but the generations that are to come. Do you notice that there in verse 16? Shown to your servants the glorious power to their children. He has generations in view. This is my prayer for us, is that we would be a sober-minded people, not just morbid about, oh, we're going to die, but, but hopeful that God is a God who gives his steadfast love in the morning, strengthens us for his purposes, that soon and very soon he shall come. And between now and then, whether it be five minutes or five generations or however long, that, that we will be a people set apart for his purposes and that the generations that come after us, that our children that they will be faithful followers of Christ, missionaries or pastors or faithful gospel witnesses in their workplace and in their neighborhoods, whatever God might do, that he would use us for his glory because in that is our greatest joy. This is why he has made us and saved us and sustaining us even now in these days. So may he give us wisdom as we trust him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you, and in light of our text, we recognize that even the fact that we've made it this far is but mercy. Every time we breathe, we suck in mercy. We are thankful for that, and we pray you would make us all the more thankful. Would you give us sobriety in our minds and our hearts? God, we pray you would supply us with wisdom for our days, that we would number them God, we pray that you would satisfy us with yourself in the morning, with your steadfast love. Oh God, might nothing else be our great joy. And might you strengthen us for your work. Would you help us to be faithful even in these days, however many more you give, that you might be magnified and our joy might be made full. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.